to hear from you, Dan and uh, Mary Lou. We have heard from you through Dan as well. And we are so proud of you. And uh, our thoughts uh, are uh, just uh, of joy of every report we hear of you. And we know that your work is beyond Honduras uh, in many, many ways. And we continue to bless you and believe the Lord will prosper you these, these next weeks as you travel throughout the Midwest. So God bless you. Thank you for your report. Also, it's great to have uh, Jim and Bill and uh, Gordon back from the conclave. You guys look really good. You look uh, energized. Uh, you, you always look good, exactly. exactly. And uh, I believe the Lord has uh, refreshed you, and we'll look forward to hearing from you. I was blessed uh, last week, especially by Jim Grinnell's message from 2 Corinthians 5, and it reminded me of preaching uh, many times uh, in Living Sound, uh, and I've often preached from this passage, and uh, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature, old things are passed away, behold, all things are become new, and I would especially emphasize the, the thought that if any man be in Christ, he is a new species that has never existed before. So Jim, thank you for that message. If you didn't uh, hear the message, let me give you the, the seven points. They were so excellent. If any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. He has a new motivation. He has a new mindset. He has a new purpose. He has a new status. He has a new nature. And he has a new ambition. If you weren't here, I'd encourage you to listen to the message online, or you can go old school and get the cassette after the service today. As last Sunday, Jim reminded us of our identity in Christ, I would like to briefly touch on our calling, our gifting, our mission this morning. Last week, one of the younger guys at World Compassion came up to me, and he said, you know, there's this great uh, there's this great heaviness, isn't there? This great responsibility in, in carrying the gospel to the world. And I said, that's true. You know, God does give us a Sabbath rest, but the, the sobriety, the responsibility, the task is awesome. And I, I said, uh, said to my friend, God has no other plan Either we carry the gospel to our family, our neighbors, our neighborhood, our city, and even to the uttermost parts of the world, the job will not get done. And the scripture says, those who do not hear will be lost uh, for an eternity in hell. I mean, what an incredible, sober thought that is. Do you remember Jesus' commission? All of us remember it so well. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. This is the commission. This is the plan there is no other. In our house church, we've been studying uh, about the life of the Apostle Peter for the last probably month now. And before we actually got into 1 Peter, we spent a couple of weeks 
looking at Peter's life, especially the accounts from the Gospels and the book of Acts. And uh, the more we look at Peter's life, I think all of us at Eagle's Nest would say the more we like Peter. He is an amazing, I believe, apostle of hope. And this morning, I would like to, rather than uh, speak a lot myself, I would like to read to you seven scenes from the scriptures about the Apostle Peter, and then make a few comments and connecting thoughts as we go from one scene to the other. But uh, for the first scene, why don't I ask you all to stand, because you didn't get a chance to stretch, and this will be a a stretch moment for you. All of these passages are, are very familiar to you. Luke 5, 1 through 11. One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret with the people crowding around him, And listening to the word of God, he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put it out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master... We've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid, from now on you will catch men. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. Father, I pray that you will continue to bless the last moments of this service. Thank you for speaking, especially from your word to us this morning. Help us to recognize the sobriety of our calling. Help us to recognize that each of us has been given a unique gift that we can exercise to advance the message of the gospel. Help us to have the strength to continue to do the work you've called us to. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can sit down or stand up, whatever you prefer. Isn't this a beautiful account? I'm struck by so many things from this passage. Jesus first asks Peter such a very, very simple thing. He says, you know, can I just bore your boat for for maybe an hour? I mean, it, it... it wasn't hard for Peter to say yes. In fact, it made Peter look pretty good, I think. Jesus using my boat. You know, his insurance premiums didn't go up. I mean, it was, it was no, no problem. But then, uh, you know, Jesus is not interested uh, in, in just contact with you. He's, he's immediately going for a relationship. So he comes back after the message with something much more challenging. He says, Peter... Would you uh, cast your nets into the sea? 
can you imagine how tired Peter was? He'd worked all night, and worse yet, they caught nothing. That makes the night feel even that much more difficult. It reminded me of the many, many all-nighters I used to drive for a living sound. I was a bus driver, some of you know that. And the night was, was tough, but then when the, the morning would come, it was like the, the, the most difficult, the sun coming up, and you're just wishing that you're, you're at your next destination. And so my only thought at that point, God, help me to bring this coach safely to the next motel, to the next church. I'm going to open the luggage bins, and we'll get our suitcases, and Dan and Mary Lou, you know what that's like. You want to just crawl somewhere and get a few hours of sleep. Jesus says to Peter, put into the deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Peter is dead tired. He's discouraged. You know, he's probably thinking, you know, I'm a, I'm a fisherman. He's a carpenter. <laughs> and uh, he's telling me how, how to fish. But something inside of Peter must have said to him, he's more than a carpenter. And uh, so he puts down the nets, and Peter and his companions and his partners, James and John, they're all astonished by this net-breaking, boat-sinking catch of fish. And then Jesus says to to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. The sense of that passage is, don't be afraid. From now on, you're going to catch men alive. And that's the way we want to catch them. And that's what uh, Jim uh, encouraged us to do last week, to take these gusties and these are you rooted in a church. How many of you did that? And there's no condemnation. If you didn't, there's still a lot of them on the table, and there'll be many opportunities this week to uh, cast your net on the other side of the boat, as Peter did, and we will see what happens. So listen to this last sentence. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. They left their livelihood their possessions, their families, all they had known to follow Jesus. They made a decision on that spot to follow Jesus. And you know, if you're, if you're not following Jesus today, you have that opportunity today at the end of the service to make a decision to follow after Jesus with your whole heart. Let's go to another scene. Scene number two, John 1. 40 to 43. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing, this is a great point of evangelism, the first thing Andrew did was find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him, at, that is, looked at Simon, and said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. How amazing. Before Simon has a chance to, 
do anything or say anything, Jesus said, I'm going to call you a rock. Jesus is saying what he is going to make the man to become. I think Jesus looked at Simon Peter the way the sculptor, and this is for the artist, Michelangelo, looked at slabs of marble. Once when asked the techniques he used to, in shaping particularly a particularly beautiful statue, the great master replied, I saw the angel in the marble and carved until I set him free. So it was with Peter. The Lord saw not only the man who was, but the man who was going to be. God sees that in each one of you. He that has begun a good work in you will continue to perfect it until the day of Jesus Christ. That's God's way. Do you remember Gideon? He was hiding out in a wine press. He was a a scaredy cat. He admitted it himself, but the angel of the Lord came to him and called him, Thou mighty man of valor. That's the way God speaks to us. Let's go to another scene, scene number three. Luke 9, 18. Once, when Jesus was praying in private and his disciples were with him, he asked them, Who do the crowds say I am? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, and still others that one of the prophets of long ago has come, to, come back to life. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? Peter answered, the Christ of God. Peter didn't hesitate. He knew who he was following, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It was perfectly clear to him. Scene 4, Matthew 14, 15. Immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone, but the boat was already a considerable distance from the land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. During the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It is a ghost, they said, and cried in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. And another, another amazing passage here. I haven't heard of any mortal before or since walking on water, you have to love Peter's childlike 
trust in the Lord. Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. I'd like to go uh, really quickly to a, a really critical moment in the life of Peter. You know, some of us today are going through critical moments. Peter has denied the Lord three times the same day that Jesus said, before the cock crows, you will deny me three times. In fact, Peter cursed, using a strong Aramaic word, essentially, may God strike me dead if I'm lying. In other words, I don't know Jesus. That's the kind of day it had been for Peter that day outside of Jerusalem. Jesus has gone through the mock trial. He was crucified, died, buried, rose from the third, the third day. He has appeared to Mary and to the disciples twice, once behind closed doors for fear of the Jews, and to Thomas and to others. And now, this is possibly three or four or five days, maybe a week after the resurrection, Peter's gone back up north, back to Galilee, back where he used to be a fisherman, thinking, that's maybe what I should do. I failed so miserably. What else is there? John 21.1. <clears throat> Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net. We've seen this scene before, haven't we? He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. He wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. Simon Peter climbed aboard and dragged the net ashore. Can you see the muscles on Simon Peter? He personally dragged that net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153, but even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. And now we have this amazing exchange. I think this was the first time Jesus and Peter had had a one-on-one -on -one since Jesus' resurrection. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? And Jesus uses the word akapeo, the 
God kind of love. He says, Simon, son of John, do you acapeo me more than these? And then Peter says, yes, Lord. He said, you know that I phileo you. I love you with the brotherly kind of love. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you acapeo me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I phileo you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you phileo me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you, I phileo you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. I tell you the truth, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands. Someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said, follow me. That same commission, that same invitation that had happened three years earlier, almost on that same spot. This was a critical moment. My sense is G, uh, Peter was, was, was torn up entirely inside. He had unfinished business with the Lord. Peter had been a disciple for three years. He was surely the leader. Every gospel writer always it's Peter, James, and John. In fact, when I talk about where my mother and father are, I said they're with Peter, James, and John, and all the other saints. He was almost always first to speak, not always accurately. First to act, first to respond. Just a week ago in Jerusalem, outside the house of the high priest, the others weren't around. It was Peter that showed up. He was the one that was there. He had warmed his hands around a coal fire and sworn that he did not know this man, Jesus I'm sure all of those thoughts are coursing back. He's around the fire that Jesus has made around, the, around that breakfast. And the smell comes into his nostrils, and he remembers the other fire. And he remembers that he said to Jesus, if everyone, anyone, if everyone forsakes you, not me, I'll go to the death with you, Jesus. And then just hours later, he curses that he does not know the man. Peter's thinking what to do. What could there be? And when Jesus asks him a third time, do you love me? He says, Lord, you know everything. You know how bitterly, how miserably I failed. There was this contrition in his voice, I'm sure. He repented of his failure. And I think his attitude was, Lord, if, if you still think you can use me in some way. I do love you. Peter was reconciled. He was forgiven. He was recommissioned. And Jesus said, feed my lambs, feed my sheep, follow me. And from, from that day, for the rest of his life, the great apostle was a great shepherd of the church 
And as we're now getting into First and Second Peter, we see the compassion, the love, the maturity of the man who became a rock, even as Jesus prophesied he would. And we've got to go to one more scene. This is after Pentecost. Peter has been filled with the Holy Spirit. And he stands with the eleven. I think, I think the other ten were so proud to stand with Peter. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These men are not drunk as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And he speaks right to their hearts. Men of Israel, listen to this, Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did among you through him. As you yourselves know, this man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. And then he goes on, Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Christ whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent, and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are afar off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them, and he pleaded with them, save yourselves, from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Wow, that's all I can say. The man of God, filled with the Holy Spirit, preaches like he's never preached before. 3,000 are converted, and as you read through the first five chapters of the book of Acts, you'll see the same incredible power and authority as he preaches the simple gospel of his master. Just in conclusion, 
I believe the scriptures make this one point clear. The gifts and callings of God are irrevocable. Romans eleven twenty nine says, each one of us has been uniquely gifted. I like the way uh, Paul, in a very summary way, talks about our gifts uh, in Romans 12. Not all of us are called to be apostles, prophets, evangelists. We're all called to be witnesses, even as Jim pointed out so well last week. But there is a gifting, a unique gifting for each of us. Romans 12, 6 to 8 says, We have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it is serving, let him serve. If it is teaching, let him teach. If it is encouraging, let him encourage. If it is contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it is leadership, let him govern diligently. If it is showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. In order for the gospel to go to the ends of the earth, we must be faithful to operate in the giftings that God has given us. We may need to stir up that gift. Peter or Paul said to, to Timothy, do not neglect your gift, which was given you through, the, through a prophetic message when the body of elders laid hands on you. God does not give up on anyone. He didn't give up on Peter. He hasn't given up on us. And the message, the cry again this morning from Jesus himself is, follow me and I will make you to become fishers of men who will catch them alive. I'd like to uh, invite any who would like to come for prayer Perhaps you're going through a real critical moment and you would like someone just to pray with you. Perhaps you've never made a decision to follow after Jesus. You can come. Perhaps you need a re-infilling of the Holy Spirit. You can come. So a very simple invitation to all who would like to come for prayer and we'll just uh, wait on the Lord for just a few minutes here.